The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker, and you are listening to episode number 82 of the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Today is Sunday, February the 25th, and I am joined all the way in New Jersey by my trusty co-pilot, Jeff, the Animal Wilson. Jeff, how are you doing this early Sunday afternoon, a little earlier than usual, but how are you doing today? Bill, I'm awesome. Bill, it's the road to WrestleMania, so tonight is on the last WWE pay-per-view before WrestleMania. I still watch casually, so I only watch pay-per-views, but pretty excited. Almost as excited as I was for last night's card. Okay, yeah, last night turned out to be a pretty awesome card. I, uh, You know, it's hard to get excited week after week when these things are, are coming up so frequently. I hate to sound like a spoiled MMA fan, but... Uh, you know, I, I start to feel like eh, if I if I miss this one, there's another one next weekend. But I'm glad I didn't skip this one. And when we were going over the card last weekend, I was getting more and more excited for it as we were talking through it. And it certainly did not disappoint. But before we get into the card, Jeff, I, I wanted to tell a story last week and I forgot about it. But I was out uh, cleaning up my yard. And the reason I, I I do this is because the number one request from people is that we talk about a little bit of non-MMA stuff. So I'm out in my yard, Jeff, and I don't know if you have, I don't think you have a fear of snakes or anything like that, do you? Uh, they make me uncomfortable. I wouldn't say I'm necessarily afraid of them, but I could do without them. But Yeah, so there's like, most people are like terrified if they see a snake and then there's like the small percentage of people. I wouldn't even say one percenters. I would say like 0.2 percenters who love snakes and love handling them. And they're the people who have a thousand of them in, in their house. And I actually been thinking about those kinds of people lately. Like what happens when these people pass away? Do they leave like a house full of snakes? Cause snakes live a long time. Like, do they leave a house full of snakes to their kids or like relatives, because I don't, I don't know anybody who would want to inherit that. In any case, most people fall to the other side of the spectrum. A uh, very, very small amount of people love snakes, and then I think a small handful of people are in between. I find myself in between personally. So, I I found out last weekend that there is a snake living under my back patio. It's probably about three feet long, and I've identified it as a black racer. So these are non-venomous snakes. They're harmless to people. Uh, I did a little bit of research to make sure it's okay for the dog. I have a small bulldog, and it, it seems fine. So they they also keep away venomous snakes like rattlesnakes. We have we have some rattlesnakes in the area, and then they keep away uh, mice and and other rodents and things like that. So I saw the snake in the yard, and it startled me a little bit because you turn around and they call them black racers because they move fucking fast, Jeff. So I see this thing bolting underneath my patio and i was like oh i guess he lives under there cool so 
I have that going on and I did a little bit of research and I'm like, all right, that's cool. So then I had this pile of logs I had to sort out and, and there's like tree stumps and leaves and everything there. So obviously there's all kinds of creatures crawling around in there. I busted open one stump and all these giant spiders started coming out. Uh, I moved another stump over and, and some mice ran out of there and I moved another log and there was a couple of baby snakes under it. Now, I know people personally who are terrified of each one of these things, respectively. You know, I know people who cannot be around spiders. I know people who will jump on the kitchen table if there's a mouse and everything like that. But I'm just wondering, like, how these people get anything done, Jeff? Because, you know, I, I have to clear out the yard because if I leave the pile of leaves and everything there, I could get termites in the house. But I, I don't understand how people get through life with these with these fears, you know, um, I guess it kind of relates to, to MMA because MMA is the kind of thing that would terrify most people, but you know, there's a small handful of people who do it, but that's because it's a choice. Like you can't always choose if you're around snakes or spiders or mice or anything like that. Well, what's your thought on this stuff, Jeff? Would, would any of these things hold you back from getting shit done or, or you fall into one of these categories that, that can't accomplish anything if, if these critters are around? Nah, Bill. Uh, my dad has uh, has had me helping him out with yard work since I was a little kid. So while some of that stuff might make me uncomfortable, I'm be like, all right, we got to get this done because, you know, for the sake of getting things done. So, you know, I wouldn't be happy about it. I'd probably complain a lot, but I'd still, you know, get it done. Yeah, just get it done. That's all you got to do. Well, who cares? It's, it's just, uh, you know, a little now, if there was a rattlesnake there, Jeff, it might've been a different story. Um, I, <laughs> I don't know if I would be as calm, cool and collected if one of those things, uh, were running around, but anyway, let's segue into the card. So speaking of getting it done, Jeremy Stevens gets it done in the main event last night, uh, against Josh Emmett. Both of these guys considered to be knockout artists, I suppose really awesome stand up war here. Uh, Jeremy Stevens got dropped hard in the first round and Josh Emmett got dropped harder in the second round. Bit of a controversial finish. It uh, looked like Jeremy Stevens landed a couple of illegal elbows and then an illegal knee. Uh, Daniel Cormier said it was multiple illegal elbows. I only saw one that was questionable. Uh, the one right before that landed on his ear, I thought. So I, I wasn't too concerned with the elbows, but... Uh, a lot of people saying that the knee was like a ghost knee and it didn't land. Not only did I see it land, Jeff, I saw it land twice. I saw it land on the way in, and then as it pendulumed back across Josh Emmett's head, it landed a second time. So even if you didn't see Emmett's head move or react to the first time, it, you got to count the backswing as an illegal <laughs> knee as well. But the referee didn't stop it. So, you know, fair play to Jeremy Stevens. He finish the opponent like he very well should uh but a lot of people upset about this uh what was your take on how the fight ended jeff yeah but i kind of thought it was an illegal knee but at the same time josh emmett looked like he was he was done regardless uh it looked like i think it was a left hook that dropped him but you know when he went to the ground i kind of thought it was over so um i can't really say uh, if it was illegal or not, uh, I don't want to, you know, shout something out and then it turns out it wasn't. But I mean, Josh Emmett looked like he was done, dude. Um, so all the credit in the world to Jeremy Stevens because I thought he was done 
when Emmett dropped him and pounced on him. So this was a super entertaining fight. This main event did not disappoint at all. Yeah, two hard-hitting guys, two guys with outstanding chins. I'll end it on this note. Uh, the tweet that I thought summed it up, and I'm going to refer to Twitter a couple of times on this episode, uh, Zach Funsize Makovsky, former UFC flyweight fighter, his tweet simply said, knee was illegal, knee landed, knee most likely changes nothing about the fight ending. And <laughs> I, <laughs> I thought that was spot on. I thought he nailed it. That's why I wanted to make sure I read it verbatim. Uh, and I, I'm going to make another reference to Twitter that's not as appropriate uh, a little later. But uh, yeah, I think that it was a really exciting fight. It, it made for a great main event on free TV. I think Orlando got a good show. I would have liked to get out there. Um, Orlando is about an hour and a half from me, hour 45. But, you know, with a six-week-old, it's a little bit hard to uh, get away for these things. I got to be a responsible parent here, Jeff. I can't just be uh, out gallivanting, going to cage fighting matches, things like that. Um, Bill, I disagree. I, th I think the baby's old enough to at least start her own lemonade stand. <laughs> yeah, go start a business. <laughs> Um, uh, co-main event, I thought was a really exciting fight. Um, really back and forth, but, uh, well, a little bit back and forth in the beginning, but then turned into just a, a dominant performance by Jessica Andrade, who has now beaten Tisha Torres as well as her partner, uh, Raquel Pennington. So I, I don't know if you get an award for beating up an entire couple, <laughs> if that's <laughs> or if that's a thing but uh you know she could put that on her resume i guess and uh she's got that going for her i thought it was a really phenomenal performance by jessica andras she's just so monstrous in that division and the only person who's really given a hard time since she's moved down to straw weight is the former champion yoani on so daniel cormier says she has to be rooting for rose nama Yunus to win uh, in the rematch against Yanjechik so that Andrade can fight somebody new for the title because it seems like Yanjechik has her number. I don't know if, if if that'll make a difference. I I think on any given night Andrade could be the best straw weight on the planet. Uh I I think she's she's earned at least that consideration. What were your thoughts on the fight, Jeff? And what are your thoughts on the future of the straw weight division and where Andrade fits into that picture? Bill, I was really, impre yeah, really impressed with both of these women. Uh, Tisha Torres looked great in the beginning. She did a good job of getting up quick. She prevented quite a few takedowns from Andrade, except for those uh, power ones where she would just pick up and slam her. Um, so, yeah, I was impressed with Torres all, all around. Unfortunately, I thought Jessica Andrade was just better on the night. Uh, showed some real power with a combination of good technique in there. She looked, uh, both of these women looked good all over the place. It's a shame that I was actually disappointed that Tisha Torres lost um, because I was so impressed with her performance, even though she did lose. I thought both of these girls looked great. And as for the title picture, I would love to see Andrade versus Rose Namajunas. Um, Andrade is that combination of technique and just raw power that uh, that you want to see in any fighter. So I'd love to see her fight Rose uh, for this. Yeah, definitely. That, that would be a great matchup. And I don't think Tisha Torres' stock goes down at all. Uh, I think after she showed how tough she is, I think um, she hasn't lost her place in line 
whatsoever. So I expect to see both of these women back strong and I'm excited to see both of them get in there again. It's great to see so much healthy competition in that women's strawweight division now, which for the longest time seemed like it was a one woman show. So the, the fight right before that, Alir Latifi and Ovin St. Prue, I had a hard time deciding, you know, who might take this one. You know, we, we were kind of up in the air when we broke it down last week, Jeff, we thought it would come down to Latifi's wrestling uh, versus, uh, you know, St. Prue's striking and grappling. So it it's like kind of a strange dynamic there. How would it play out? Uh, I didn't see it playing out this way. I don't know if you did, Jeff, but uh, a shocking ending with St. Prue ending up getting uh, choked unconscious. Um, questionable whether or not he was already out by the time that choke was sunk in. But talk us through this fight, Jeff, and what was your reaction as you were watching this one? Yeah, dude, I was really impressed with Alir Latifi. His striking looked really solid. Uh, his striking is really what set up uh, that guillotine finish, and he went for a takedown. OSP did a good job of defending, and then Alir Latifi went for this crazy guillotine at first where he's he, his body was almost a C with how far stretched up he was. And generally, in the guillotine, you don't want to do that. You kind of want to be straight up. You don't want to arch your back too much. But uh, Latifi is just a, so strong, so powerful, that once that thing was locked in, it was over. And it looked like the first guillotine didn't wasn't locked in all the way. It looked like OSP was okay. Then he reset, and Latifi choked him out. But right before St. Prue went out, he tapped on the other side, and the ref was not in the best position to actually look at the tap. So I questioned the ref a little bit, but at the same time, that guillotine was so tight that I, I don't know if OSP would have been able to get out of it at all. Yeah, I think because they were already falling towards the ground, I think if if Latifi had let go right when that tap came in, we would have had the same results. I think he was, you know, starting to go black and, uh, you know, that extra second or second and a half wouldn't have made much of a difference. But yeah, phenomenal display of power by Latifi, just bending OSP's neck in half. It was really a gruesome choke and his positioning was awesome. Uh, OSP did not defend at all. He didn't change levels, uh, which is a smart thing to do because if he's standing straight up and his neck is being bent down, the way you relieve the pressure is to change levels and shoot in on a leg or try to hop to the other side. Uh, it's actually a great setup for uh, the Von Flu choke, which OSP is, is known for. He's got a couple of those in the UFC. So when people hang on to a, a guillotine for too long and the person on top passes to the opposite side that the guillotine is on, uh, they're able to administer a choke with their shoulders. So if OSP hadn't have been rocked, that's probably what he would have gone for. But the fact that he wasn't defending the choke at all says that it, he was probably already done. And this one probably could have been called as a TKO even before the choke was administered. But awesome fight. Great display by Alir Latifi. He called out Daniel Cormier after the fight. Uh, in kind of an awkward call out. Uh, there's no way that's happening. Uh, just because his, his last, his last performance was impressive. He out wrestled Tyson Pedro for three rounds. Uh, but before that was the flying knee knockout to Ryan Bader, uh, who left the company and went to Bellator. So if you're going to take a loss to a trader like that, 
uh, you're not getting a title shot. Uh, and that's not me speaking. That's, uh, you know, the UFC brass and, and marketing team. Um, but, uh, you know, he's still up there in the picture. Uh, hard to say what you do with Latifi next because it, you have a division that's basically empty. Um, maybe Latifi versus Volkan Ozdemir. That might be a cool matchup. Uh, I think that would be really interesting. Uh, we, we've seen Vulcan struggle with wrestling, and we know Latifi is an outstanding wrestler. So I, I say throw them in there. I don't think OSP is out of the picture either, again, because this division is so light. Um, I, I think we'll see both of these guys uh, back uh, pretty soon. So let's go to the fight before that. And... I'm sure a big disappointment for Mike Perry as well as the UFC. Mike Perry fighting in his hometown. Well, not his hometown, but the town where he trains in Orlando. So expected to come out and have a flashy knockout here, I think. Uh, I, I don't think it takes a genius to figure out that's what the UFC was hoping for, that he comes out and knocks out Max Griffin, a guy who will probably stand and bang with him. But Max Griffin utilized... Mike Perry's one weakness, which is having a game plan and sticking to it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't see any other way to put it. Once Mike Perry gets in there with a guy who has composure, he really struggles. You know, if, if guys don't want to engage in a firefight with him, then uh, it, it, it's really tough. I know he's got grappling i know he's got submissions but he doesn't prefer to use them uh he throws everything with a hundred percent force uh, you gotta admire his chin because he got rocked a couple of times in this fight and i've seen mike perry fight in the amateur circuit down here in florida and i've seen him come back from the dead where he got knocked out at the end of a round basically unconscious and he comes back in the next round to win a fight the guy has a phenomenal chin. There's there's no doubt about that. He's a really tough fighter. But uh, three losses in the UFC, and you could argue that all three came this from the same way, from guys who were composed, who had a game plan, who kept at range, picked him apart, and, and didn't let him rush in and be the bully in the fight. Uh, great job by Max Griffin. I think he's a good fighter. He's got a solid skill set. But as I told you last night, Jeff, he has zero marketability. There's just nothing. There's no it factor about this fighter. And I, I hate to say that. I hate to put a guy in that kind of category. But he's got to do a little bit of work with his mic skills if he wants to move up and become ranked. Because it's not just about how well you can fight. It's about how well you can market yourself. You have to be a marketing machine as well as a fighting machine in this sport. What are your thoughts on this fight, Jeff? Bill, I'll be honest with you. I thought Mike Perry was fighting a boxer from the 1930s. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I thought that's who Max Griffin was. I might be mistaken on that. Don't quote me. But I knew I'd heard Max Griffin somewhere. I was impressed um, with his performance. I thought he looked good. Um, and Mike Perry, man, I think he just, I think he might need to change gyms, dude, or change camps or something because he really doesn't have a lot of technique. I feel like he has a good jab. I feel like if he used that a little bit more, um, he would have probably won another round. Um, I felt like 
Max Griffin did a good job of keeping the distance, uh, using his own jab, and just he kept moving. He never stood in front of Mike Perry. Mike Perry, he looked a little bit slow. Um, he had virtually no head movement. So I think uh, I think Max Griffin, as well as um, uh, Ponzinibbio, have kind of shown what Mike Perry is lacking. So I'd like for him to work on those skills a little bit more before getting back into the cage. But um, yeah, dude, Mike Perry's a tough guy. Uh, I thought he was knocked out uh, in, uh, I believe it was the second round when he got dropped. And, you know, the fact that he was able to come back and basically win the third round uh, shows a lot to Mike Perry's spirit. So I think if he gets a little bit more technical, I think he, he's a big contender. He's only 26, so um, he basically has no ceiling as for his potential. And as for Max Griffin, I agree, man. He needs to work on his mic skills a little bit. But overall, I think he's a really well-rounded fighter. Yeah. If you're the UFC and you're looking to market fighters, you want to market a guy like Mike Perry who who can sell tickets because he's a heel and he gets in guys' faces and he tries to rip people's pants off at weigh-ins and he screams in their faces and he does a lot of crazy shit that make people want to watch either because they're rooting for him or they want to see him get his ass kicked. Now, if you're a Max Griffin and you beat a guy like Mike Perry that the UFC is trying to build up and you do it in a not very exciting fashion where you get on your bicycle and you outbox him from the outside and then you don't cut a promo after the fight, that does a lot more harm than good. Uh, I think you have a lot better chance of moving up in the world of this sport if you go for broke and lose the fight and then talk some shit after or before your next fight. Uh, there's a formula here, Jeff, and I think a lot of fighters don't really recognize it and a lot of fans don't recognize it either. You know, they, they're susceptible to to these marketing ploys, but maybe they don't really fully realize what's going on. In any case, you mentioned that Mike Perry should change gyms. So his head corner person last night was actually his girlfriend, and they cut to her at one point, and she's just screaming heinous shit, like, kick him again, break his leg, break him, beat him up, smash his face, which... All right, great. If if that motivates you inside the cage and, and you know, the reason she's there is because you don't want to pay for a ticket for her. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, if that's not the reason she's there and, and that actually motivates you, great. But I don't really see how that was benefiting him uh, because there was no real tactical advice coming from her. She was just kind of screaming like it was a schoolyard fight, like, yeah, beat his ass and stuff like that. And, of course, I'm going to refer to Twitter again here and who has to be the number one troll in UFC, of course, Colby Covington. I don't know if you saw this, Jeff. I did. It was great. I'm going to have to read it word for word just to make sure I get it exactly right. So Colby Covington had some thoughts on Mike Perry's corner, and here it goes verbatim. Hey. At Platinum Perry, maybe having your ratchet, horse-faced girlfriend as your head trainer isn't the smartest idea on planet Earth. But hey, when you're the product of cousins fucking in Ocala, Florida, how strong can your decision-making skills be? Hashtag UFC Orlando. I, <laughs> this is so disrespectful. 
and so out of line and so fucking hilarious. <laughs> I can't like I I would love to see these two fight. Now, in order for this to happen, Colby Covington's gonna have to lose a fight and, and come down. So maybe he'll have to lose his next fight and Perry will have to win his next fight. But oh man. The trash talk would be epic between these two if they were going to have a fight. And that gets me excited. You were talking before, Jeff, about how you're still a moderate WWE fan. So if you're the type of fan that kind of walks the line there, this is a dream matchup. Am I wrong? Oh, you're absolutely right. And something WWE does is use real-life storylines to set up uh, in-ring matches. So I would love to see Covington in there against Mike Perry. And then you have the whole, you know, you disrespected me and my girlfriend thing versus, you know, um, basically the the new age cyber bully, I guess you can call him. <laughs> but, uh, dude, uh, I know it was so wrong and so disrespectful. But at the same time, I couldn't stop laughing when I read that. Oh, yeah, it's terrible. I, I feel really bad for Mike perry's girlfriend i mean she's probably a, a nice person despite you know the heinous things she was wishing on max griffin last night but uh nobody deserves to be talked to you that way but for if you're the ufc you have to secretly loving this too because he's getting so much attention and people hate him so much yep. that they want to see him get his ass kicked and that's great marketing and it's also like if you're the ufc you can't really acknowledge this stuff like when he called brazilians filthy animals you have to be like, oh, man, but this is going to sell a lot of tickets. It's like that quarterback, uh, Jameis Winston, when he was like stealing crab legs or like, oh, yeah, but <laughs> he's really good at throwing footballs. So so we got to <laughs> we got to go light on the punishment here. It's like these these high level athletes, like they do dumb shit sometimes and it's good for business, but it's bad for business like. You know, the sports come a long way to prove that these guys are educated and they're not just barbarians. And then this guy comes out <laughs> saying some shit like this. But this is what you need. Uh, I've been I've been saying this for a long time. You need guys like this, uh, you know, love them or hate them or, or respect his skills or don't. But you have to have guys like this if you want the sport to do well and transfer over to mainstream and. You know, a lot of people want to complain about the quality of cards and, you know, the treatment of the fighters and the payment of the fighters. Well, don't be a problem identifier. You know, if you want to solve these things, you want the fighters being paid more, you have to get casual fans involved. So you have to bring over those people from the WWE. So you have to have guys cutting promos. Uh, to me, this is very linear thinking. This is the way it has to be. If you want the fighters to be paid more, then you need the fighters to start doing some marketing. Uh, and we we say this week after week, Jeff. I have those two sides of my brain. There's the fighting side, the fight fan side, and there's the marketing side. So for me, it makes perfect sense, but I know it doesn't to a lot of people. So that's why I feel like I have to be a little bit of a broken record with this point. You know, If you want to see the best things for the sport, then you have to kind of put up with the ugly things about this sport. And um, I'll end the rant there. But any other thoughts on this before we move on, Joe? No, Bill, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, everybody loves a bad guy, whether they like to admit it or not, um, especially a charismatic one like like Colby Covington. And I'm not saying that what he's done is okay, but 
dude, he insulted an entire country, man. Uh, you know how many people are going to watch just to see if he loses or gets knocked out or something? I mean, every Brazilian is going to want to see this just so that Mike Perry can knock out Colby Covington. Um, yeah. So, yeah, dude, I, I think he, he did a, a power move, man. Yeah, and meanwhile, Mike Perry's in the same bracket. In his UFC debut, his his cornermen were were uh, making fun of his Asian opponent um, and, and being really disrespectful and kind of racist. So uh, these two were made for each other, and I really hope they meet in the cage somewhere down the line. So let's uh, let's continue on with this. I'm sure we're going to touch on uh, on this whole topic again: the the marketing versus you know, being an MMA purist and, and how a lot of people need to come to terms with that. A uh, really exciting fight. I thought Brian Kelleher versus Hennon Burrell, uh, the ending of this fight was really awesome. These two guys were just swinging on each other. Brian Kelleher just a little bit quicker to the punch, so to speak. Uh, I think if this fight goes 10 more seconds, Hennon Burrell would have been knocked unconscious. Uh, it's unfortunate to see a guy like Barrow who was on top of the division for so long and nobody remembers who he is. Uh, but he was a really dominant fighter for a really long time. But Brian Kelleher, I thought looked really good in this fight. Any thoughts on this one, Jeff? Yeah, dude. Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. Unfortunately, Henan Barrow, um, I think this is his third or fourth loss in his last five fights. So it might be time to, to maybe, look and see if Bellator uh, would want him. I think he's a great fighter. Um, he actually looked good physically last night. Uh, he didn't look drained or anything, but uh, I think it might be time to to look for employment somewhere else. Um, Brian Kelleher looked awesome, dude. I caught the end of this fight. Unfortunately, that was all I could uh, get home in time for, but Brian Kelleher was swinging heavy leather. This was a fun fight to watch. Yes, definitely. I, I, it was one of the most enjoyable fights on the card, I thought. So I'm going to breeze over the rest of this card just for the sake of time. I only have a couple of key points I want to hit on. And then, as usual, Jeff, let me know what stands out to you. So Marion Renault uh, defeats Sarah McMahon. So really dominant first round by Sarah McMahon. Uh, she used, utilized her wrestling. She looked great. Had Renault in a crucifix, was beating the crap out of her. In the second round, she took her down, wound up in her guard caught in a triangle, did nothing to defend it, like absolutely nothing, not even a, a smidgen of an attempt. She tried to kind of weasel her left hand in to relieve some of the pressure, but she didn't posture up. And this is a big problem with wrestlers is they have really low pressure and they like to keep tight to their opponent and they don't posture up in grappling situations, which is why they get caught in triangle chokes. I'll use Chael uh, Sonnen as an example. Uh, most of his submission losses, including the championship loss to Anderson Silva, in which he beat him up for four and a half rounds, and then he got caught in a triangle. It's because wrestlers stay really low and tight when they're grappling, and the defense to a triangle is to posture up out of it, and you have to extend your body. And a lot of wrestlers can't really get in that mindset like they can't wrap their head around it because they've been trained so long to keep pressure down on their opponents to hope because the idea of wrestling is to hold your opponent down. So if you're posturing up, then you're letting pressure up. So a lot of wrestlers can't get their head around that. Sarah McMahon caught in a triangle choke. Angela Hill gets the unanimous decision over Marina Moroz. 
Alan Joban knocks out Ben Saunders uh, pretty viciously in the second round of their fight. Smiling Sam Alvey welcomes Marcin Prochnio to the UFC. Uh, another Polish fighter who had a lot of hype behind him. Alvi put him down hard in the first round. This was a case of experience versus aggression. So Marcin got put down really hard by a counter strike by Alvi, and then he came. He got up staggering and came charging at Alvi, and Alvi just waited for his moment and uh, hit Marcin with a hook and put him down uh, cold. And then the last fight I want to touch on, uh, which I thought was the most impressive performance of the night for a different reason. Ronnie Yaya with a, a submission victory over Russell uh, Russell Doan. The story of this fight was Ronnie Yaya's wrestling in terms of the combat. But the story of this fight is really the fact that Ronnie Yaya's mother unfortunately passed away 10 days prior to this fight. And the UFC thought he might pull out, and he did not. He said his mother was his biggest fan and that she would have wanted him to compete, and she would have been there if she could, so he wanted to compete for her. Uh, a really impressive performance, both physically and emotionally, for Ronnie Yaya. How he got into that cage 10 days after losing his mother uh, is beyond me, but really impressive performance. He he really wanted to finish. He did not give up, and halfway through the third round, he finally got an arm triangle, um, Russell don't tried to defend it a little bit, but the pressure from a guy like Ronnie Yaya, when he actually locks up a submission it is incredible. So, uh, a really, really heartwarming performance there by Ronnie Yaya, uh, dedicating it to his late mother. So I know I threw a lot at you, Jeff. Uh, let's get your thoughts here. Uh, oh man. Okay. Three of these fights stand out to me and I'm just going to go over the finishes real quick. One, the Ronnie Yaya fight, um, you know, everybody loves uh, a good story like that. I love it. I love hearing, you know, he still wanted to go get into the cage after, after a, a big loss like that. And, you know, no one was going to take that win from him. Love it. So the next one, definitely the Sam Alvey fight because Marcin Prochnio just bolted at him and Sam Alvey just went, nope. Pow! It was it was like a schoolyard knockout, man. It was awesome. And then the Alan Joban fight because I've always I every time I see Alan Joban in the cage, I'm impressed by him. This dude used to be like a model or something, so I always kind of thought he was like a pretty boy. Mm -hmm. But the dude has proven that he can fight with the best of them. And Ben Saunders is no walk in the park. So to be able to KO a guy like that is definitely a statement. For sure. Yeah. So that's the rest of that card. Uh, if you were looking for a play-by-play -play on the whole thing, um, unfortunately, we're pressed for time this week. Uh, we'll touch really lightly on the card coming up next week, UFC 222. And it is in Las Vegas, Nevada. It is headlined by Cyborg and Yana Kunitskaya for the Women's Featherweight Championship. Uh, a couple other fights on this card, Frankie Edgar, against Brian Ortega, who's filling in for the injured Max Holloway, Sean O'Malley against Andre Sukumtoth. So Sean O'Malley from the Tuesday Night Contender Series. He was one of the breakout stars from that. Stefan Struve and Andre Arlovsky. And let's see. They buried John Dodson on the undercard for some reason. Hector Lombard and CB Dalloway should actually be a really interesting fight. And the only one, only other one that really piques my interest, Katzengano and Ketlin Vieira. Oh, and Mackenzie Dern 
who is a world grappling champion and probably known more for her scantily clad picks on the internet is making her UFC debut. Uh, any thoughts on this card as a whole, Jeff? Yeah, overall, it looks really good. I'm really excited for the Dalloway versus Lombard fight and Edgar versus Ortega. I think either one of those is going to be fight of the night. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm I'm a little disappointed still that Edgar and, and Holloway isn't happening, and there's a bit of a bottleneck in that division now. Jeremy Stevens was asking for a title fight after his uh, victory last night, which obviously can't happen because Frankie Edgar beat him and he's ranked above him. So if Frankie Edgar wins, I, I can't see the winner of this fight not getting a title shot because Ortega would be 14-0, and 0, can't really deny him, and Edgar was supposed to fight for the title anyway. So I say give the loser of this fight to Jeremy Stevens and have that fight be a title eliminator again, and the winner obviously gets a title shot. So a lot going on. Uh, as far as the pay-per-view, I, I feel like it's a little bit light. Uh, I don't know if people are going to be shelling out the what is now $65 for this one, but we'll see. I could be wrong. I hope for the people who depend on these pay-per-view sales for a living, uh, I hope for their sake that I am wrong. So uh, we'll end this one here for the sake of time. Uh, if you have any thoughts on anything we said or anything we missed, you can reach Jeff at animal underscore Wilson on Twitter. And of course you guys know how to get old of me. It's at MMA on the rocks everywhere on social media for Jeff, the animal Wilson. My name's bill Welker till next time. Cheers, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>